Yeah, I think finding common ground is not a way to move forward in ideas. Um, that's put <laughs> <laughs> <Went> in blank. <laughs> yeah, well, take that out of context. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't like stuff on my head. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you could you could get the. Uh, like, That's why I'll never be a, a bishop. <laughs> no, <laughs> no miters. That's <laughs> why. Um, like, please don't elect me. <laughs> I hate stuff on my head. <laughs> you know, actually, I've always thought what would be even worse than the stuff on the head is people taking it off your head, like very subtly, without you know, oh, because you know, yeah. like right, um, right after. Well, during mass, it's on and off, on and off. Well, yeah, but right after the prayer over the gifts mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah 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 some guy comes up and he's like <laughs> yeah and you're like and so you're like you're just there praying and then you feel like this thing like slide off the yeah. back of your head and your hair is like yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 if you have long hair sometimes like yeah you gotta watch out that's why they're all bald <laughs> flowing locks Imagine so. Yeah, well, imagine um, Jonathan Peugeot is a bishop. Oh no, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, really. But speaking of someone with great hair, that was a bishop and pope, Pope Benedict. Yeah, he did have mm. that nice. He had great hair, silver. No, but it was, it was it was full. He, he was like ninety five. <laughs> he, he had like a, a full head of hair. Yeah, it was did, that was yeah. impressive. Yeah. You know, you don't see that much in the church. <laughs> <laughs> I just made that up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, that could have been a great start to the podcast. Let's start. Yeah, we're already recording. Are we recording? Yeah, let's keep going. Just put that in. There. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. But wait, in there. you said something before that. Something about why you can. Oh, uh, I was thinking you could go the like Cloud City route, like that that kind of Cloud City where you had the band like in the back of the head. If you don't like it over the top, it could be in What's the back. What's his Lobot. Lobot. Yeah. yeah. My favorite scene of all of Star Wars is where he's not a robot. He's like Orlando's like, yeah. He's just sitting there like in the dark somewhere by himself. He's like, his eyes like shoot on. No, but that would, I think that that's actually like glued to his head, because there's no way we could do that for you. There's no way that that would stay on. You don't think he's a hybrid? That's so true. When you're looking at Star Wars, you're like, wait a second. That doesn't make any sense. There's no way that. (laughs) That's what's unbelievable. Yeah, right. Like not the like hyperspace, uh, like like speed stuff. Like not laser yeah. sword. It's that guy wearing it's the head. The yeah. like, like, Especially no. a bald head, like that would be slippery. Yeah. If he's if he's sweaty, sweaty at all or greasy. Yeah. Yeah. So how's your week going, boys? <laughs> so we, we'd like to welcome Father Jonathan Torres to the podcast. Thanks for thanks for coming. Is this why? Is this <laughs> well, I've never been. No, here. that's the joke. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Isn't that our description like Lee? And Matt Hylam sit yeah. down with some dude as if like you're coming to me like my oh my children like let's let's talk about <laughs> right sit know. down with father yeah that's yeah. weird so this week yesterday yesterday was Wednesday I celebrated a um, mass for our school and at St Matt's we have a huge elementary school it's like 700 kids every Wednesday uh, we we have mass for them. And we rotate that, you know, between us four priests. Um, so I say that mass about once a month. Mm-hmm. And um, it was the story of uh, the gospel. We, we use, it's weird, we, we use the Sunday gospel for that gospel of the day. Mm. We substitute it. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, I know. It's, um, I'm not sure why, what was the reasoning behind that? 
I think they explained it once and I was not listening. So I, can't, <laughs> I can't remember. But anyway, they, um, they, but it was the woman at the well gospel. And so um, it's also kind of modified. So it's like a, it's a lectionary that's modified for the children. Oh, you know what dang. gospel passage that was? So it was, um, well, it's this upcoming Sunday, which is the oh. woman at the well um, gospel passage. Um, dang, how do you get around that with the children? Well, they, we it's managed like, it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they, they cut out the part of, um, uh, you've had five husbands. Like you've had five best friends. friends. <laughs> yeah. right. Really close friends. And you can only have one. Yeah, you can only have one you best friend. You can only friend. have one best friend. And the person you're with now is not your best friend. <laughs> right. so we're talking about like kind of co-eternal principles. You can't have two. You can't be two best. There can only be one best. Exactly. So, you know. Oh, my gosh. Um, so it's always difficult. That's ma- That master, I find it very difficult for me to preach because you're preaching to a bunch of elementary kids. Right. Yeah. Kindergarten through okay. sixth grade. Um, yeah. Well, they're all there. From and they're all there. Everyone's there. That's what is there, like a thousand kids? 700 kids. Um, I was just thinking, that's, um, that's a, a wide range in terms of like uh, grasp or cognitive grasp. Right, you're, right exactly. You're you teaching to kindergartners and then sixth graders. Yeah. Then you also have parishioners who are there for daily mass. Right. Um, and they're all sitting in the back. Um, and then you have teachers. Um, and so you're like, what do I say? You know, does that it's, get chaotic? Like seven hundred kindergartners? <laughs> I'm thinking, like, to, to be fair, the the staff does a very good job of like splitting up the the teachers between classes, and they're all like, you know, one teacher's managing like fifty kids, like, oh, watch it, right. you know. <laughs> but the, they're they're all pretty pretty well behaved, actually. Um, I, I am pretty impressed with the the, the amount of that like, sounds impressive. Little chaos yeah. that happens. Yeah, fear um, keeps them in line. Right. Fear. <laughs> Um, but what what were we doing? Um, what was I? What was the point of this story? Oh, I was preaching to them about the woman at the well, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so I said, like, what is the like the the um, uh, like a distilled version of the message that Christ is getting at that I can give to the kids? And I figured it was water. Mm-hmm. And Christ says, you know, what what does he say? If you if you keep drinking from this well, you'll be thirsty again. But the water that I wish to give you, mm-hmm. um, you'll yep. never thirst again. And so I was just like, "Hey, kids, you ever been thirsty before? <laughs> Not like I that. Let me distill <laughs> this for you. Nope. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, okay. But I was like, uh, I was like, you know, you ever been playing outside uh, in the sun, and you're just like, I want some water. <laughs> And the kids, kids are like, like no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm inside on the on yeah. the iPad. Yeah, I'm on the iPad and I drink a uh, Capri Sun. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what water is. <laughs> Oof. Um, but it was yeah, it was just a relatively short homily, just about <clears throat> Jesus is the water mm-hmm. that lasts forever. And um, you weren't gonna go into like he's he's actually her new husband. <laughs> right. Well, that's yeah. I know. So we edited. Yeah, exactly. For the so more mystically minded people <laughs> right. here, yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. Raise your hand if you like to think symbolically. (laughs) (laughs) Who's ready for a symbolic mystical interpretation? Uh, So I was a little like frustrated. Like, I think that's like a huge challenge for like preachers. Yeah, is to like preach to kids, preach to kids. Um, I mean, it's also like you have like priests who go through whatever x amount of years of seminary, and are used to just like academic thought. And yeah. philosophical oh, yeah. thinking. Yeah. And it's like yeah, now exactly. you have to like talk to people who haven't done that. Yeah. How do you even like bring that down to their level? And then not even to mention 
just like lady then it's children it's yeah like, yeah that's yeah. tough yeah the, the lady <laughs> The late lady. Lady. Yeah. I was like, you gotta preach to the ladies. First, you gotta preach to the men, and not even that, even yeah. lower to the women. Yeah, the women and the children too. That's a oh my episode, gosh! Yeah, that's a Star reference. Wars episode. No, no, no. Yeah. So yeah, teaching definitely helps you with that. Uh, mm. With the teaching different levels of of how do I communicate this in the simplest yeah. way possible? Yeah. But wait, so because um, you taught high school for two two years, two years, yeah, and then you taught at St. Anne's. Yeah. What grade was that? It was kindergarten. I was kindergarten. Well, yeah. I was an aide. So, what, oh, okay. <clears throat> like, when they pulled the red lever, you're like, okay, kids, you know. Like, <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just whatever uh, she needed help with, really. Okay. So, every now and then, like, a little bit of teaching here and there. But yeah. what, what would you teach kindergarten? Card- kindergarten. It's the basics. It's the months. Square. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Circle. Yeah. You're talking about months, colors. Uh, time of day, seasons, okay. you know, mm-hmm. that kind of that kind of stuff. I mean, they do get into some reading. Because there were some kids there mm-hmm. that were actually, um, I think there was one girl that was on a third grade reading, reading level. Like, she okay. was wow. smart. Yeah, so actually, so for happens. our kids' mass, we have um, uh, grades do the readings and the, the intentions, and the they, oh, wow. they also sing, too. Yep. Mm-hmm. But we had kindergartners actually read um, the first reading. Uh, the first, like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I know. I was kind of impressed. I think these kids were like at the top of their class, you know, yeah. these yeah, yeah. superstars, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, high the superstars of and, kindergarten. It's oh, yeah. all downhill from yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they were like tomorrow's like Peterson. You know? Yeah, that's crazy. Like, that's this, right. This kid is going places. <laughs> yeah, I can't even read in public. Um, speaking of kids, I was going to tell you guys, <clears throat> my uh, so Ella, my third child. Got bitten by a copperhead. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Are you serious? End of the podcast. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, baby one. When was this? Uh, two days ago. Dang. Um, but it wasn't like, I guess the, the copperhead didn't have any teeth or whatever. It was like really, really small. She thought it was a worm. Did you have to like you know? suck the blood out? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. You're like, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, it was on her hand. But um, yeah, she was like, she thought it was a worm. And then she was like, this is not a worm because it bit me. <laughs> and then Dominic was like, that's a snake. <laughs> oh, my um, gosh. Yeah. So that Did was. Did it hurt? Apparently not. Like, yeah. you know, she, uh, my wife was monitoring it the whole time and, you know, kept an eye on it, put some, like washed it. And there were marks on her arm. No marks. Okay. So it didn't have teeth to go yeah, in. So I don't puncture. think. She, yeah. It didn't like yeah. have any Did person see the snake? Yeah. She had to kill it. You know, okay. Cut the head off. I was like, wow. Like, wow. Pipes. Symbolic. Yeah. <laughs> Crush the head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of kind of weird. And then, so, you know, we were just going through like a how do you prevent copperheads from showing up in your house? <laughs> dot com. <laughs> um, yeah, why so, we aren't supposed to be in nature. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> like, why we don't build the tallest tower. Right. Don't um, hang out in the woods. Yeah. We've evolved. How to prevent yes, snakes. So. Undergo yeah. the hero's journey. Interesting. I mean, kind of. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they, they just show up in the mulch. That's like where the copperheads like to lay eggs is in the mulch. So during yeah. springtime, they, they show up. But the like most natural remedy is to keep like other predators around. Owls. Right. Apparently bullfrogs will eat the small snakes. Really? Oh. Um, hmm. We have a couple of hawks. So that helps. You have hawks. Yeah. Like we own them. <laughs> <laughs> Release the hawks. Yeah. Well, it's like one like flies onto his arms yeah. with like little hood on, yeah. you know. No, there's like two. Carries a message. Go. Yeah. <laughs> there's two or three of them that live in the woods behind us that, you know, 
are there all the time. So it actually does help. It seems like it helps that so we don't see a lot of snakes. Okay. Um, but it, it got me thinking about just <clears throat> needing that like gargoyle periphery around the church. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. oh, you need the monsters around the church <laughs> to keep away the other monsters. Yeah. Yeah. How poisonous are copperheads? They are pretty venomous, apparently. Really? Okay. Yeah. Like nobody. Are venomous? The, the they're not deadly. Um, but you know, it does hurt. You can have like nausea and vomiting for like two weeks and it's okay. like a, it's yeah. intense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Def- for definitely kid. definitely want to avoid it. I just didn't know if yeah. it was like death yeah. like she's I mean, going to die kind of thing. Yeah, apparently or, not. Apparently like the the death rate for it is like 0.01% yeah. in America. You've done your research. So, yeah, yeah, no. I was like, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, how long do I have left until she dies?" Yeah, I just know cities and suburbs, so it's like Yeah. I yeah, have no yeah. idea. It's just cockroaches. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> um yeah, it definitely made me think about just having cuz she has also like she's like nature girl. Yeah. Like she will like pick up every bug and whatever. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things where it's like she probably would have been okay with a, a baby rat snake, like ones that aren't venomous. Oh, right. Yeah. So it's like needing to know which one's venomous and which one isn't is mm-hmm. like important. Yeah. 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 It's just an interesting like child moment for her because she is, assumes that nature is benevolent <laughs> to yeah, her yeah. until one isn't. Yeah. You know, so right. it just it made me think about like, yeah, well, I need to set up the gargoyles. I need to explain to her which one's the bad one, which one's the good one. Yeah. Like, like yeah. to reduce some of the naivete around nature. It's very interesting because my instinct would have been immediately like, let's go hide. Yeah. No one goes outside ever again. Right. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, the snake opened her eyes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That nature is Wow. Yeah. Rough. Very symbolic. Yeah. All symbolic. So water and poison. I've been reading Dune. Um, oh, I, yeah. I picked it up like a few months ago and like read a few pages and then stopped. Yeah. Um, but I've been reading it before bed each night. And I found that that actually like helps me read more like mm-hmm. throughout the day i'm just doing other things and i'm reading other things but at night i'll read dune so um it's uh, there was this long chapter on the baron the baron yeah. harkonnen mm-hmm. and as i'm reading it i'm thinking he's got kind of like like what are the dark triad traits here right because he's obviously the, the big bad guy so far in dune and as i'm thinking about it there's a passage that comes up and it's immediately brought to my mind. This dude is Machiavellian. Mm. He's he, like, he, it's just, he's straight Machiavellian because he's not narcissistic. He doesn't want power for himself. He's not necessarily self-centered. Um, you can say, you know, I, I would say he's power hungry and he wants money, but he, he still has like a long-term vision for the Harkonnen empire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's not psychotic because he's, he's not willing to just kind of kill mm-hmm. at random and move around he's more power hungry mm. and he he talks about how he's going to set up one of his younger nephews as the emperor that's his idea is i'm going to get my young nephew on the throne mm. i i won't do it <clears throat> he says his other nephews too evil to do it or too too brutal to do it but he has a kind of a cunning smart nephew mm. that's going to be placed on the throne and how he's going to do that immediately brought something from the prince to mind. Mm-hmm. Machiavelli's the prince. I read it in college and there was an example that Machiavelli gives that's so evil. <laughs> it just stuck with me. It's it's like the, it's the nastiest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he gives a story of a, um, I think he's an Italian, Italian Spanish, uh, I guess a nobleman, um, was it uh, 
bourgeois, mm-hmm. Caesar bourgeois, and um, one of his captains, uh, Di Orco, Romero Di Orco. And he says um, in this passage that uh, bourgeois took control of Romana and had found that it had been run, overrun by weak men, strip, stripping the people of their wealth rather than governing them and provoking division rather than unity with the result that theft, feuds, and all kinds of injustice were endemic. So he decided that some good, some good government was required to pacify the area and force people to respect authority. With this in mind, he appointed De Orco, a cruel, no-nonsense man, and gave him complete control. In a short while, De Orco pacified and united the area, establishing a considerable reputation for himself in the process. At this point, the Duke decided that such draconian powers were no longer necessary and might cause resentment. So he set up a civil court of law in the middle of the territory to which every town uh, was to send a representative, and he placed a distinguished man in charge. And since he was aware of the recent severity, had led some people to hate him, bourgeois, Mm -hmm. in order to have them change their minds and hence win them over entirely to his side, He's decided to show that if the regime had been cruel, it was due to the brutal nature of his minister mm. and not to him. Mm. So, so soon as he found a pretext, he had the Orco beheaded wow. and his corpse put on display one morning in the plaza, a wooden block and a bloody knife beside it. The ferocity of the spectacle left people both gratified and shocked. Jesus. Wow. So he sets up this guy in this town. Is basically like brutalize the people. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And then shows up, you know, uh, Bourgeois shows up and is like, oh, no, it's not me. Right. It's him. Right. Yeah. He's the problem. Yeah. And display, you know, kind of scape- scapegoats him and mm-hmm. kills him. I'm like, that's, that's evil. Yeah. Yeah. That is such an evil move. You know what I thought you were going to say? What? That's the Democrats and Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. <laughs> I guess maybe as well. Um, in, uh, well, yeah. So in Dune, as soon as I saw that, the, the Baron actually has almost an identical plan mm. where he plans to set up his uh, nephew. Yeah. yeah, his older yeah. nephew, uh, Ra- Robin. Mm-hmm. Robin. Um, and he says that he's going to, you know, the firm men are going to be a bloody pulp by the time yeah. he's done. Right? Yeah. But then he's going to send his send in his younger nephew to mm-hmm. replace him. Mm-hmm. He says, when I send. Uh, my, you know, the younger nephew to take the load off off the Furman. They'll cheer their rescuer. They'll call him beloved and benign, compassionate, the one who saved them from the beast. Mm-hmm. I was like that Machiavelli. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. like the Baron. The Baron is Machiavelli. Yeah, jeez. It's it's all about like using people. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, right. That's why yeah. I say he's not like a, a narcissist. Right. Yeah. And he's not mm-hmm. just like killing indiscriminately because right. even Robin says you want me to exterminate them? Mm-hmm. Like, how do we exterminate entire planet? And the Baron's right. like, you don't exterminate. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, no, no, you don't exterminate the people. Mm-hmm. You, you beat them into submission. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, you can you know, pacify them. So he's not, he said, a, a, a killer, mm-hmm. just, you know, destroying the population. He needs them for power. Yeah. And he needs his younger nephew as a pawn. Right. right. To, or his nephew to get to the other nephew into power. Right. Yeah. Right. Like that's his long term vision. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm half joking about the Democrats and Trump because, <laughs> like, if you think about like 2016, there was an ilk of 
the Democrat side, especially like the news media that like wanted Trump in. It's like this right. is good for us, All right? Because then we can like we have something to scapegoat and point to, yeah. And then right. we can bring in a benevolent, benign person to be like, this yeah. is the savior, right? And like they ushered in Joe Biden, right? Yeah, you know, like it's not like that was their plan. They right. didn't like plant Trump, but it's like you can see when the when things are moving that there's gears turning, and like yeah. how can we use this to our advantage? Of like we're gonna just kind of follow this Machiavellian yeah. trait, right? And just kind of do that. I don't know. That it seems, yeah, yeah. It it seems like if you're in the political world and you want more power, if you're more power minded. It's more Machiavellian because I think some people right. think it's maybe more narcissist, right? Right. Self centered, mm -hmm. um, which I, I'm sure, like you know, it's hard they to overlap a little bit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's hard yeah. to like parse them out exactly, mm -hmm. but it seems like it'd be more about grasping power, yeah, right, and um, like a fear tactic or something. Yeah, right? I feel like. Um, I feel like what's at the heart of Machiavellianism is um like just an utter disregard from for human dignity, essentially. Um everything just becomes a yeah. tool for you, right? Right, right. It's um, um the the yeah, was it the means do justify the ends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For the Machiavelli. Mm -hmm. And if your end is power and to stay in power, um right. then anything just yeah, anything is a tool for that. Right. Um and not just humans, but also human emotions, human like everything concerning people. Um it's just it's subservient to your goal to to, to rise up. So. Um, yeah, it, it, there was also some other lines in there about um, you know Machiavelli has a famous line that like don't maim a man, don't mm -hmm. injure him, like finish him off, because mm -hmm, if mm -hmm. you if you maim him, he'll resent you right. and, and get his revenge. Right, and he can use that as a platform to then rise up against you. Right. right. Um, so that could actually backfire. Right. Um, and then if you're, you mm. play the victim, mm -hmm. you know, you get people behind your cause. Like right. That, yeah, right. Exactly. So that's, I mean, among other reasons, that's why he's, he's not satisfied that um, Paul Atreides and his mother are in exile. It's like they, right. they need to be dead. Right. Yeah. Right. Not just gone. Um, mm. Interesting. And he has this famous line about, you know, power and fear, fear and power. We need them both. And mm -hmm. it's obviously very Machiavellian to, you know, if, if, is it better to be feared or loved? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's better to be feared. So, yeah, yeah. Total, I was like, wow, yeah. that's um. There you go. Total disregard again. Like, yeah, not even not even love is a is a value uh, right. for the Machiavellian. What sucks uh, is that a lot of people in politics have that trait. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying it's like, oh yeah, the people who want to be president probably shouldn't be. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like that eternal problem yeah. well because i think it's like when you're entering into politics you're treating it as a business in a sense of like how do i get to the top you know mm -hmm. how do i um maximize my potential yeah and so instead of um seeing politics as a way to serve the people it's like mm -hmm. how do i just like and like you know it, it, politics is not like a business in the sense right. that it's like how do i get the most money and how do i, I be efficient with my time it's like right. it's supposed to be a s service yeah yeah to the for people. sure yeah i mean it definitely it definitely is not true of all politicians um, and certainly not true of most probably local politicians. Mm -hmm. But you even see that in like HOA communities. You know what I'm saying? Like you have people oh, yeah. trying to grasp for power just to tell you like how far your mailbox seems to be from the road. Yeah. Right. Like at, at any inch of power, some people are just so hungry for that. Um, yeah. But then, you know, you have you do have people that are genuinely interested in helping people and they, they do serve their local government and then eventually rise to power and maybe run for senator and then like end up in DC or whatever. And then, you know, it's just a matter of time before they have to confront the like, what do I do with all this power? Yeah. You yeah. know, like, is this for me? Do I manipulate people? Like what are their morals? 
Yeah. It always becomes a moral question eventually. Yeah. 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 I'd just like to make a redaction really quick. It's the ends justify the means. What, what did, did you, you say? say? I think means justify the ends. I didn't catch that. But I just but just before just before we get yeah. eviscerated somewhere, like, yeah. moron, you know, like, you know, ignorance. So, what right. is this? So the ends justify the means. I just like to throw that out there. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think that's part of what uh, makes the the story of Dune I think attractive is this the betrayal of a good man. Mm-hmm. He was the you know um, Leto was. Yeah, the that the person you're talking about, mm-hmm. someone who has power but thought of other people, right. um, put the safety of his people first, gave power back, and then he's betrayed by someone who is so corrupt mm-hmm. and yeah. so opposite of that, someone who right. wants power. Yeah, and that's you know that's a story that immediately I think strikes you to the heart of like this isn't right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like the people who are the just leaders should be the ones in power, not you. Mm. But yeah, and I think what makes it more gripping is that it's, it's not just um, the Baron who's coming in um, to establish power, but that he actually uproots good and then right. establishes evil, right? Um, right. That's what makes it all the more horrific. How far are you in the book? I'm about halfway. Just finished the first book. How does that compare to where the film ended? Um, so far, it it's following, the, it's following pretty well. There's a few things that are a little different, but the, where I'm at in the book is um, the movie. So okay. far, like I haven't left yeah. the movie yeah, content yeah. yet. So that's half. Yeah. Half the book is about the first movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you know that Tolkien did not like Dune? No, really? Yeah. He was not a fan. Hmm. Um, and I'm trying to recall the reason, <laughs> but I don't remember. I mean, Tolkien was a huge stickler for like rules of fantasy, of like allegory right. and, right. you know, how, how um, like symbols and everything. And I think... Um, you straight a little bit, and he's like, "Yeah, it's, like, right. he, he didn't even like, <laughs> Get he didn't out. even like, um, Narnia. a lot of, yeah, a lot of Sis yeah. Lewis's own mm-hmm. work." Um, so yeah, that's funny. But uh, speaking of power, you guys hear uh, Jordan Peterson like announces like World Economic Forum alternative thing? No, I, I didn't. Wait, he's on Twitter. Him. We talked about this. Yeah, but he like <laughs> he like made it public, and you can right. go online and so see. it's like a thing now. Yeah. So earlier it was just conceptual. It, it was an announcement that it was going to exist. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. now he like launched it. You can go to the site. It's like ARC. Okay. It's called ARC. Of course it's called ARC. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, right. It's like... In the sea of chaos. <laughs> yeah. Um, rises yeah, yeah. the WEF. The thing that's going to save us from the end of the world. I mean, it makes sense because it's like the alternative is like the WEF stuff, yeah. which is basically like antithetical to human existence. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, right. It's like borderline dystopian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But wait, yeah. but he's saying... He, is that the slogan, the thing that will save us from no. the end of the world? <laughs> get on. Yeah, get on. <laughs> Let me look it up. Um, yeah, he's he just got the like about page and then a, the list of like everybody that's on it. Um, what Do they just sit around a big table and be like, so how are we going to save the world? <laughs> like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm confused. At, like, what, what is this organization? Is it political? Is it like, it's like the Knights of the Round Table meets Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, I, I'm, I mean, you'd have to probably like look into how these multinational things work in general. You know, like it's it's not like they're going to make laws that then countries right. have to abide by. Yeah. So it's really like a think tank um, where they, they have they have people that join that are kind of like 
coalesce around it, an idea mm-hmm. and then then put that implemented into their own countries. So there's like, you know, people of power that are in th- this group. It's like being part of like, I don't know, like a subgroup of like the church or something. Your parish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, where you, you just kind of think along a certain ideology, if you want to call that, because everything is an ideology. Um, and then that informs how you then run your country or, mm-hmm. you know, pass legislation or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. But that's essentially what the World Economic Forum does, where they, they just have a think tank of people, but then they're also like prime ministers and people that are part of this. Right. But then you see that bleed into the way they run their country. Okay. So they all come for a weekend and they talk about how, you know, we got to make everything green and, you know, no more cow farts. <laughs> and then they go to Canada and they go to their other respective countries and then like implement laws according to that. Interesting. So it's, it's an alternative to that. So what are the, some names that are on that Peterson arc? Um, I'm trying to find it. Let me see. I will say, I'm very weary about, and we've mentioned this in that episode, that podcast episode that we did um, about the WEF. But mm-hmm. like, any organization says that like we're going to try and prevent the end of the world. It's like what? Well, he's not saying that. Okay, I'm, I'm putting words in his mouth. <laughs> okay. It's like, what does that mean? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just like you know, if you're going like, so the whole point is that like globalism is kind of inevitable. Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm saying like mm-hmm. yeah, something above countries running themselves is that it's kind of inevitable that we're going to have think tanks around that. Yeah. So we can't just let that be a vacuum to the, be occupied by globalists. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? By world economic forum people, right. Klaus Schwab and the like. Okay. I see. So it's like, we need to be in the place. Yeah. We need to have alternatives. So it's like, you know, essentially like a small, it's the biggest version obviously, but of things that like the daily wire is doing by creating yeah. alternative media, as opposed to trying to like convince Hollywood to make good films. Like, yeah. all right, we're going to have to build alternative establishments. Maybe Hollywood comes around. Maybe the world economic forum gets gutted and turned into a, the, the right way of thinking. Force about for things. good. Yeah. Yeah. But in the yeah. meantime, you can't just let that be a vacuum. Okay. So I get it. Like, I, I think it, I think it'll be a net positive. I don't know how far it will go and like it's influence, but it definitely, it definitely, I think it's necessary to have something, other than nothing. Yeah. There. And he well, seems like a good person. Who are some people on it? Do you know? Jonathan Peugeot. Okay. Um, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> uh, a bunch of other people from... A senator from Utah. And are they planning Ding. to, like, meet on a regular basis? They have one... Yeah, they're trying to still figure out how to, like, have people come. But it's supposed to be, like, open form, too. So, like, they have, you know, a conference, essentially. Okay. Um, and have people come and they, and they give talks and, and things like that. Interesting. Um, and then everyone goes back to their home, like turf, and then yep. try like influence as much as they can in their specific arena. Professor Neil Ferguson, Bjorn Lomberg. I know these people. Uh, Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee, uh, Dan Crenshaw. Okay. Mike Johnson. A bunch of other business people. Okay. Parliament people. Uh the banjo guy from Mumford and Sons. <laughs> nice. Let yeah. me sing you a song. <laughs> That's how that goes. We need all kinds of talents in, yeah. in the new world. To no, come. you're right. No, actually, it's actually, I like Mumford and Sons. By it's the way. actually just, an interesting yeah. um, addition. Him and Peugeot have like no like power credentials per yeah. se, but it's it's an interesting kind of commentary on almost like anti-credentialism and just being like if you're a right. thinker and. You know, I know that yeah. this guy has a Marshall, I think his name is, 
Um, he has his own podcast. He does a lot of other nonprofit work. Um, yeah. So I'm sure he's like a deep thinker. And so if, if he knows Peterson well enough where he's like, yeah, I, I want you on this board to, to help me help us all work out these problems yeah. by so, all means. But isn't that, it's, it's funny because they, they, they see globalism as a potential problem or an, an inevitable problem. Uh, and they're like, no, we need to be more, I guess. Um, Winston Marshall, sorry, that's his name. What, like embodies subsidiarity yeah, yeah. thing right. where it's like, mm-hmm. like we're like, like we have sovereignty over our own places. Yes. Let's create a globe, like a, a global. Yeah, <laughs> like a global power. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, so it's like almost like, it's like you, you inevitably fall into well, the, so this the is like trap. Well, this is what started, I mean, the American project was like, how do we have... The federalism, yeah. Federal How do we have federalism, yeah, without an like a top-down clamp on people's autonomy, yeah? Mm-hmm. And so there was like that we have to break up the system of powers, and right. we have to give subsidiarity power to the states. Like it had to be broken up in so many ways that there was there is gridlock on purpose, yeah. So that the, you can't just be like boom, make mm-hmm. a new rule, yeah, just from for everybody, from DC, yeah. and it right. affects everything, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, like you're you're kind of asking the perennial question about politics is yeah. like, well, how do you create an organization that allows the most freedom? Yeah. You know, yeah, so. yeah, right. And so I guess, like, I, I would hope, I mean, these guys are intelligent to the point where, like, they recognize that, like, yes, this is a, a small organization hoping to affect a wider, um, you know, a, a wider scene. So not to fall into those traps, you know? Yep. Um, yeah, it's... It's interesting. I need, I, it's yeah, called ARC because it's the Alliance of Responsible Citizenship, ARC, is being established as an international community with a vision for a better world where every citizen can prosper, contribute, and flourish. And then there's a whole, like, context. Well, I thought it was ARC, like, you know, Noah's ARC. Come on. It what is ARC, though. It's a double entendre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you guys... <laughs> did you guys see nice. that... Uh, uh, Joe Rogan had Russell Brand on recently. Yeah, I just finished that like two days ago. Yeah, I saw. I didn't see the episode. I yeah. saw it was super interesting. Clips. Yeah, I, I finished it yesterday. Um, he talked about the principle. Uh, Russell Brand basically yeah. talked about mm-hmm. the principle of subsidiarity because yep. mm-hmm. um, I just quoted him. Um, he, he said, "If you take, if you allow uh, contentious issues to be resolved at the most local level as possible, mm-hmm. that would be best." Right. Actually, well, yeah. it kind of trails off, but yeah, yeah. But that's pretty much verbatim. The definition of subsidiarity yes, yeah, it is, is yeah. to allow issues to be settled at the most local level as possible. Yep. Um, he he said, or he seemed to think that this was the re, the way to resolve sort of these the the many ways in which Americans want to live. You know, he said you have kind of extremely conservative religious groups yeah, that right. want to live a certain way. Then you have perhaps the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How do we let people do that? And he said one way is definitely not. A top-down right clamp. Yeah, he seemed to be. There's that. That seems to be like a growing idea, though, of moving mm-hmm. back to the principle of subsidiarity, which is interesting because sure. that's yeah. that's something that Catholic social teaching has talked yeah, about yeah. for yeah, a long time. Right. Yeah. But that seems to be growing in popularity. Yep. The like, yeah. And that's would that be defined as like a classical libertarian um, uh, motif? I guess or it, I, it does seem like that. And yeah. he was even. Brand was even talking about that. Like, there needs to be maybe some sort of like amalgamation of like a new group forming that has sort of this liber- libertarian mm-hmm. strain yeah. to them of like, just let right. me do my thing. Right. Um, let my local government and 
mm-hmm. be, yeah. you know, yeah. like figure it out. Yeah. Right. Um, but also, but I mean, that obviously gets tricky because like, yeah, you can't do it. Just anything, that's the thing but. with like libertarianism is, is that it's like, well, let me, let me decide what I want to do in my local community. It was like, all right, here you go. Decide. But then it's like, oh shoot, now I got to make a rule. Right. <laughs> it's like, well, it's like, right. But what and about then, the people of my town that are like also libertarian? Like, no, let me decide. Yeah, like, right. don't ever give me a rule. Well, so, and then like right outside of that little community, you have different communities with like starkly different yeah. ideas. This is why like libertarianism is not really a Catholic idea. Um, it, it, can, it can never be because there, there does need to be a metaphysical, metaphysical, I guess, foundation yeah. of ideas that unites right. people. Right? Well, it's like freedom um, ultimately for responsibility. Right. Yes. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. For something. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because it can verge into autonomy like, and not freedom. Yeah, right. And like an anarchism of yeah. like, well, I just like let me do yeah. anything. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, or whatever. Because there's I nothing want. Yeah. Like, eh. the pure libertarianism, there's nothing stopping it from devolving into that anarchy. anarchism. Yeah. It's like you start from federal government and be like, no, give the states power. And then the, the states say, no, give cities the, power. The cities or, and yeah. then the towns and then the the HOA community, yeah. <laughs> and then like, and then just the individual people, and then the children yeah. <laughs> of the of the household. Um, so, so like, on principle, yeah. there's nothing stopping from that to completely eradicate any type of rules. Right. Exactly. So at some point, you have to turn around and be like, all right, we need to establish an identity as a community, an overarching, yeah. arcing. Hey, arc. There it is. I, I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many so many ways to go with arc. Noah's ark, arc of the covenant. Um, arc over arc, you know, over, yeah. You know, over it, just <laughs> so many. <laughs> the arc of the rainbow. Oh, uh, yeah, the promise. Dang. <laughs> Dang. Wow. Peterson thought this one through. Yeah, you really did. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, so then, like, alternatively, if you're the opposite of libertarianism, I guess would be what, like, complete control? Like socialism, right? Yeah, I, I guess. guess. Well, uh, is that the opposite of? Maybe. Uh, the libertarians that I know really hate socialism. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. Yeah, yeah, that's or, true. So, I mean, maybe. Uh, yeah, I don't know if that's like the exact, yeah, right. uh, but I think it would stand yeah. opposed to it. Or authoritarianism, um, I guess, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Like, you know, you could still be an authoritarian. Yeah. Totalitarian. Yes, yeah. I would say, yeah, authoritarian, totalitarian, right. probably, cause that's because that's more like centralized, yeah. and their whole thing is decentralized. Right, right. So, mm-hmm. right. right. so, so because the same risk applies there, where it's like, we need to have rules, so we need to establish a law of how we exist in a community, yeah. and then you, you keep building that up, and then you have complete top-down gridlock, like lockdown control, yeah. authoritarian style. So it's really like libertarian and authoritarian, like having to have a conversation, which is what subsidiarity is. Yeah. I think subsidiarity really, like that term, explains that we're going to give you the ability to create rules, yeah, but in the smallest area possible yeah right right because i mean the principle of subsidiary doesn't just say all right now you're on your own yeah well you know maybe we could do some like national guard Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the military (laughs) right right, protect protect the country as a whole it's not like you know if georgia gets attacked right well yeah sorry good luck i hope you have an army yeah you know yeah there has to be some interplay but there's just some issues though that really don't need the federal government to be getting yeah i feel like that i mean that analogously uh, I see that with my own kids. It's like I have to, it's the role of sure. the top of the government to decide what do the lower parts, how many decisions can they make possible mm-hmm. and give them all of those things. You know, like that's the, that's the whole like objective. And then there's decisions that you need to keep for yourself. 
right. it's like federal government. It's like, yeah, they, they, they got the army. Yeah. Um, right. Right. But so it's like with my kids, like I'm not going to make every decision for them. So it's, it's my role to decide what decisions can they make and should they make and then give that to them to right. make. Because right. I'm trying to give them autonomy eventually. Yeah. To be their own person. Or freedom. Yeah. The way I, I, the way I understand like autonomy is like you do whatever you want. And then freedom is like responsibility. Like there's a freedom for something. Yeah. Well, I feel like both terms can be misconstrued to be like no rules. No, they can be misconstrued yeah. to mean no rules. But um, classically speaking, those terms have very mm. different um, right. ideas behind them. Right, right. Um, so. Nice. Yeah, that'd be wild. if Imagine like a libertarian state where... Like the city of Huntersville is like, you know, waging war against Charlotte or something. You know? it's like, the city of Huntersville is like a nudist colony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, you can't do anything about it, yeah. though. Right? right. These are our rules. It's like, all right, kids, we're driving through. Close your yeah. eyes. <laughs> this is what they want to do. This yeah. is the, they have so the got, freedom to do this. You got to respect the nudist colony. Yeah. <laughs> got to respect <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there yeah. was some debate recently. I, um, Michael Malice was talking to Joe Rogan about it. I'm listening through that podcast. About uh, Texas wanting to be its own country. Oh again. yeah, I can see that. Yeah, um, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> they do that. Oh man. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a uh, the the northern Germans. Apparently, they have the rebellious blood, uh -huh. according to Nietzsche. And then mm -hmm. they all migrated to Texas. <laughs> right. And then Texas. Texas is like yeah, it's like our northern Germany. Yeah. They're just, <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> they're very, very passionate. Very want to want to secede all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny rebellious yeah that um that conversation though with russell brand was yeah was it, it was interesting he brought up uh brand himself is interesting because he he definitely i think has fully embraced unconsciously the like full archetype you know as yes. somebody mm -hmm. you know in order to become in order to become the the hermit the wise mm -hmm. you know the wise sage or the magician he you have to be the fool the yeah. fool is the, an aspect of those mm -hmm. things and I, I always knew him as the guy married to Katy Perry. Yes. It was only yeah. until like a month Making ago those, I realized. Like, stupid rom com. Rom -com yeah. yeah. I, I didn't realize yeah. now Legolas is actually married to Katy Perry. I didn't oh, know really? that. Orlando yeah. Bloom? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. I was like, wow. I, so I, I always I thought respect, of. My respect for him just went down. <laughs> <laughs> Legolas, come on. He's like, you know, this high elf, man. It's, That's an. Okay, okay, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> Orlando Bloom. I know. That's stupid. <laughs> Hey, good now. If they're happy, yeah. name a recent Orlando Bloom movie that wasn't Lord of the Rings. Pirates of the Caribbean. No, that's not even recent. Recent? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> he played um the guy in uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's Lord right. Yeah, yeah. The pirate. Of, anyway, not a pirate. What, what was his name? Turner. Well, I I watched like fifteen minutes of one. And I was like, all right. See, I watched the first one and the second one. And the second one left on a cliffhanger, and I was not interested enough to see the third one. <laughs> right. Um, Unsubbed. <laughs> yeah, I never really got into Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. yeah. Um, what were we talking about? Uh, Russell Brand. Russell Brand. <laughs> Russell Brand. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, yeah, he's yeah. a fool. Well, yeah, yeah, I didn't. And, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the archetype. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, 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 he's a fool. Yeah. Right? And, no, and right. I think that really came out um, on uh, with his interview on uh, Bill Maher. Yes. It so I like recently he, saw that with yeah, the MSNBC guy, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. You, he, he took on very much the the court jester. Yeah, yeah. for like, sure. Like I am here to counterbalance the king. Yeah, you know, the fool yeah. is a difficult archetype because it kind of goes all over the place mm -hmm. and travels. Yeah, and um, the media is kind of you can you can you can see that as kind of like the king establishment right? They're in power. They're right, sure. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, in, in that moment, mm -hmm. he was like in a court, mm -hmm. and um, 
what at the the MSNBC guy, mm -hmm. um, forget his name. But in that moment, he sort of teasing the king yeah. and saying, here are all the things that you've done wrong. Mm -hmm. And and you could make it better, but yeah. you can't be a hypocrite. Yeah, right. You got to be honest with your right, people right. about what you're doing. Um, but he he's really embraced it because now he's sort of in this weird phase of now becoming a little bit like the like magician, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, wise man. Yeah. Um, he even talked a little bit about that on the podcast, how um, entertainment has its roots in like traveling, shamanism. like shamanism. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Showman and shaman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he has it. So he has like that magician that, that who, who used to be the fool mm -hmm. and everyone used to laugh at, but yeah. now has transformed himself and is now a wise a wise, yeah. yeah. And yeah, can yeah. kind of yeah. entertain people mm -hmm. with, with, you know, magic and stuff like that. I mean, that's, a, you see this with, um, with Yoda, right? Like when right. he first meets Yoda, when Luke yeah. first meets Yoda, he right. he's crazy. I just like transit like as if like Russell Brand when he first met. And he just <laughs> you know the Yoda archetype. Yeah, the uh, the, uh, the undistinct like that's he, his next role. Yeah. is the reprisal of Yoda. Right. Yoda. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Russell Brand as Yoda. Um, you know Yoda's kind of foolish, right? And then he switches, and then he's actually the hermit, right? Right. He's the wise hermit. Yeah. So the same thing's going on with Russell Brand. He's like switching here. Um, yeah, that's but, why. But he really. In this, in, in with Rogan, he really latched onto a lot of, I think, very important points about the culture right now. He's mm -hmm. talking about the need um, for your life to be undergirded by some sort of spiritual principle, mm -hmm. and that these public conversations need yeah. to have some sort of spiritual value added to them. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, they're hollow. Yeah. Right, right. And meaningless. Um, I will say that interview, that MSNBC guy, like, couldn't hold a candle to the charisma that. Russell Brandhead. He yeah. was getting demolished. Yeah, right. Like, well, I mean, that's, and that's, yeah, that's the court jester. Yeah. Mean, it's like, like the king almost has no power yeah. against uh, mm -hmm. the, the, the jester. Yeah. Um, but you can see it so clearly. The thing is, like, he's, an, he, like, Russell Brand was an actor, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, like, he was, like, like, that charisma was just, like, mm -hmm. pouring through. Like, there was nothing that guy could have said to defend himself. Oh, nothing. no. Yeah. He, he mentioned on the Rogan podcast, too, because Rogan was talking about discipline, and he was like, it's like you have your body that wants to just, like, get, stay in bed. And then, like, your mind is telling you to, like, no, you should go work out. And then there's almost, like, this, like, transcendent thing that's disciplined, that's, like, in between the two, that's, like, that makes you do the thing. And Russell Brand's like, yeah, you, you just described the spirit. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, for all right. this talk about, like, I don't believe in God, it's like, that, that was a pretty religious, like, trinity of right. <laughs> thought you had there. Yeah, yeah right. Rogan even said something like... Uh, this isn't the exact quote, but he's realizing there's there's something there's like multiple me's inside yeah. of me. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when I say when I look at cold water and I'm yeah. like, get in the cold water. It's like, who are you talking to? Yeah, 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 right, you right. Know, like yeah, yeah, this is sure. Peterson's thing, he's, and he's Peterson's obviously getting it from from Jung mm -hmm. of like, you don't have necessarily a split personality disorder, right. but there is a sense in which there are multiple personalities yeah. that inhabit you spirits yeah, yeah right mm -hmm. that you are trying to not in like a weird like de demonic way yeah, yeah but like there's like you how is it that you negotiate with yourself yeah right how well, is it that right, you tell yourself right. i need to get out of bed right it's yeah like, and that's i mean you. like in the mm -hmm. scripture that's like the, the the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak right saint yeah. paul like you know i, I do what i don't want to do and i don't yeah. do what i should do mm -hmm. um all those tensions inside yeah. the person um that is such a wild phenomenon that happens that we take for granted that we just have multiple conversations with ourselves. Because sometimes you can have like, it's not just like, I want to do this. No, I should. It's yeah. like you have a, like six voices yeah. of like what you could do. Right. 
And it's just so odd to feel that. Um, it's like all your passions are like their own. Oh yeah. Mind. Uh, I mean, that's like that's Augustine's um, principle in the Confessions is that like he's almost having a conversation with himself, mm-hmm. and he's able to glean wisdom out of that self conversation. And it's which is why I, you know I think people can read uh, the Confessions and be like, well, this is just a, a, a remembrance of his past. But in a sense, it's almost working like a platonic dialogue where he's like having a like a dialogue. Yeah. And right. from that dialogue comes truth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that there's a great passage when his friend dies. Um, and he's like, then I asked myself, like, why am I sad? Like, what mm-hmm. is it about my friend's passing? And so he's like asking himself questions, right. like a, almost like a little Socrates inside yeah, of yeah. himself. <laughs> and he then he's able to glean some insight from that. And then he writes down the mm. truth. Yeah. Um, so like that conversation with yourself is, it seems like dialogue is, and Aquinas like you know people like to pit Aquinas against Augustine and um, he's like in his own category mm-hmm. but he's actually following a tradition of a kind of dialogue right. like he sets up the Summa as like these are the objections now I'm going to answer this objection so he's mm-hmm. almost setting up like a, a character yeah um, to debate steel manning uh-huh. him so that he can have a dialogue mm-hmm. you know um, yeah the so. um well the scholastic disputatio was like in, in I think an auditorium in one of the universities mm-hmm. and you would have the kind of masters of whatever and you would question them. Yeah. Mm. I mean, questioning, it's more, I guess, a debate, but it was a little bit of a dialogue that, well, isn't it true that? Yeah. And then the master would have to respond, mm-hmm. affirm or net, you know, right. whatever it is. But it was still a dialogue, question, yeah. Yeah, answer, yeah. question. Exactly. Right, right. Kind of it's, yeah. Well, that's very in my mind, that's just like the most effective way to come to um, solutions. And, and, yeah. and you know who was also good at that was Ratzinger. Um, he, his ability to like, um, again, like steel man his, uh, opponent mm. was like unparalleled. I don't like we're reading right now in our g- group study of uh, Spirit of the Liturgy. Mm-hmm. I don't know how far you guys got. I haven't got the book yet. Well, there you ah! go. Um, but um, I want, yeah, uh, just to be brief so that we can save this for our exclusive book club. Um, <laughs> no, <I was> gonna- <laughs> a no. big announcement. Excuse yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pay $99 a month and you can join our. <laughs> no, you can't. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, anyway, he has a section on Gnosticism. And he explains Gnosticism so much clearer than I've ever experienced. Mm. And it almost, before he responds with Christianity, uh-huh. it's like, but isn't that true? Right. Like, it's I want to be so brilliant. It's so brilliant uh-huh. the way that he explains it. Mm. Um, but then his Christian answer, his Christian response is mm-hmm. also brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Ratzinger was like a, a great, great mind in, in, in seal manning his opponent's arguments mm-hmm. so he can dialogue with it. Right. So, um, yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. Well, I mean, and you contrast that with like the tendency today in politics or conversation in the culture in general, which you straw man arguments, assume what the other person's saying, yeah, and then just attack that. Mm-hmm. Like you're not getting anywhere with that method, you know. Like right. that's just to affirm your own preconceived notions. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no, um, there's no uh, desire to get at right. something higher, to break out of your mind and and actually grasp truth. So, yeah, I, I've been going through. Uh, John Verveke's Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, and he talks about mm. dialogue. He likes to say it in a different way to kind of bring out what he's meaning by it. Like, he doesn't just mean discussion. He means, like, dialogos. Like two, like two, two words. Two words. Like, yeah. like, there's actually something that's happening. Yeah. Because um, what he's arguing is that, like, you present your idea, I present mine, and mm-hmm. we have a discussion, a dialogos, and then what emerges is a transcendent third, yeah. like a spirit of that dialogos. Yeah. Um, and you know that's kind of trinitarian, in that the father and the son 
dialogue and then there's a transcendence. Yeah. That's how like he describes that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Loosely. Yeah. I part of me I really like that idea. And the fact that like you you have to like put those ideas out in order to reach a, a, a transcendence. Mm-hmm. Um I also feel like there's a hesitancy to be like, well, you talk about atheism and I'll talk about Christianity and then we'll like, we'll have like a, a dialogue Common ground. Yeah. Right? And then yeah. agree to disagree. And that was really good. And the end. Yeah. Like it kind of, I feel like there's a tendency that it might err on like this. There is no truth <laughs> or like the dialogue of itself course. was yeah. the discussion. So I didn't, I don't know how to like resolve that. Yes. No. I, yeah. And I think that, um, like real dialogue has two people asserting truth. Um, and this is what I think this, the Socratic method often gets mischaracterized as just a person asking questions. Like, yeah. what do you think? Right. As if, like, Socrates didn't have any opinions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I ran into this uh, recently. I was having a conversation with someone. And um, uh, and they just said, like, well, yeah, like, you know, in order to not um, infiltrate um, these this group of people with ideas, uh, we're just going to... Um, approached him with the Socratic method. Mm. And I'm like, that's not what the Socratic method right, is. Right. Like, uh, mm-hmm. And Elisa, our sister, brought this up um, when we were having, I had a conversation with her about um, about Socrates. And she said, like, it's not uncommon where you read these dialogues um, and he goes on rants, uh-huh. asserting things with no background. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is obvious. Like, he has, obviously has an agenda, you know, mm-hmm. to put it like, you know, in the best way possible Yeah, yeah. Um, of like, this is my opinion. This mm-hmm. is what I hold. Um, and so when you're encountering someone else that holds different opinions, it's not about finding common ground. It's like, look at the contradictions yeah, and, and see if we can resolve the contradictions right, right. with truth. I think there's an element yeah. of humility going into that, that you know that maybe I'm going to assert something and I don't have it a hundred percent right. And yes. then so yeah. hearing yeah. here even hearing an opposing view or somebody that has a similar view but it's a different perspective yeah. just hearing another outside perspective might cause a gestalt as Verveke would say mm-hmm. to that transcendent third that then that is the new idea that I have yeah. that it's a little bit more honed because I've had to eradicate some of the idiosyncrasies of myself yeah. from a dialogue yeah. so like that's the whole pu- purpose of dialogue it's not like I'm going to be convinced that my argument was completely invalid yep. or I'm trying to convince you that your argument is completely invalid, but it's like, let's get the fullest perspective possible. And that's only possible with a like type of dance yeah. of logos, a dia logos right. to yeah. get to that transcendent yeah. third. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I, yeah, I think finding common ground is not a way to move forward in ideas. Um, that's <laughs> put it blank. Yeah, yeah. Well, take that out of context. Well, yeah. <laughs> Certainly, in 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 the example of uh, the debate of like an atheist and a Christian. Yeah. It's like, well, what's the common ground? Well, right. right. No, and I'm not saying right. You have to find common ground in order to um, launch, um, like as a launching pad for your conversation. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like that, you're both open to discussing. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. You're both open to recognizing that, like, we can get at something. Mm-hmm. Else, there wouldn't be a um, mm-hmm. a reason to dialogue. Um, but like to not be afraid to be like, this doesn't like, just because I don't agree with it doesn't mean that I should just let you like, just yeah. push a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and allow yourself to be pushed as well. Um, right. Obviously. That's, I feel like that's um, super important. Yeah. Right. Um, right. I'm not you'll, saying no common ground and like uh-huh. disagree with everyone. <laughs> yeah, Intolerance. Yeah, yeah. Right, that's right, not right. what I'm saying. That's yeah, not yeah. what I'm saying. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, if, allowing yourself to be pushed will help you understand their position and your own position. Yes, It'll, exactly. You know, sure. that, 
that stress and difficulty right. will help you grow. Exactly. Even intellectually. In, exactly. In whatever topic it is. Right. And um, I mean, like, you know, you look at the state of Christianity, how many people, you know, at, at church when they stand up and say, I believe in God and they confess the creed. Um, how many people are actually pushed, when, you know, mm-hmm. and, and questioned what does it mean to believe in, believe in God? And like that was like Ratzinger's introduction to Christianity, mm-hmm. um, pushing those questions, right? Um, so, right. but once you start asking like, yeah, what does that mean? Just the question alone opens new horizons to where they're understanding the concept of God, the concept of belief, um, yeah, just a little bit more. So, yeah, yeah. All right, let's let's head over to the um, members only. Um, Lee's got a really interesting story <laughs> about a dude in oh, Target. Oh, it's it's good. We're we're getting into that. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so join us, basicallyrelated.com. Uh, $5 a month gets you the additional bonus episodes every week. Uh, you also can ask questions in the AMA, and we'll answer those when they come in. Uh, if not, we'll see you next week.